and welcome to the Comic Literate Podcast. The podcast is deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, mangas, penny dreadfuls, web comics, newspaper comics, essentially any single frame illustrations where the characters use bubbles to talk or think. Um, I am the soon-to-be known as Comic Stan, uh, but real name Ryan, obviously. I'm the comic part of the comic literate in the sense that I uh, once listened to an audiobook of The Watchmen, so I think that's my credentials for that part. And with me, as always, is the literate part of the comic literate podcast in the sense that he's the one of the two of us that can read. It's Jamie. Hello, I've read a book. I mean, two at least. Come on. I, yeah, I've read a couple in my time. I swear you had a, de- you told me you had a degree or something. I was a fucking librarian. Okay. Do you, does that mean did did you get high on your own supply there, or how's oh, that it work? was incredible? I I used to I used to have an off. I shouldn't be talking about this. I used to have do, my. Own do little, we need to make a space in case we need to edit anything out? No, I was a li- I, I specifically I was a library manager, right? And I used to have a little back office, and I would spend like three maybe hours a day in the back office. I'm going to pull up some air quotes now. Mm. vetting books that was a v- quotes around vetting books yeah which essentially meant that over an eight hour workday, i spent at least half of it reading it was fabulous i mean that's not too dissimilar to the job that we both started reading comics in because we were reading comics in between calls that we should have yeah been. we were sat in a call center just reading comic books but no i got so much reading done and then i stopped being a librarian and struggled to read because suddenly it wasn't built into my routine anymore. So now I have to be really boundaried and like give my girlfriend my phone so that I can read a book. Reading really is a it's a uh, a muscle that you have to exercise or keep in shape to to be able to jump in and out, don't you? It's the thinking man's hobby. Yeah, it, it takes it takes some discipline. Reading is my aspirational hobby. I always say I'm about to do it, and I that was like five years ago, and I still haven't. I've got a book ready to go that I read the first chapter of, and then I just haven't picked it up again yet. I have bought more signed first editions this year than I've read books. Right. So you own more books than you've read. Oh, as does every bibliophile. So you're essentially the average um, gamer on Steam. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, we have a lot in common. Um, there's, something, there's something really charming about a signed first edition. Um, and then actually sitting down to read in 2022 is is very difficult because every couple of days we have a new prime minister. Yeah, there's a lot going on just generally. There's there's like a new once in a lifetime event in history that occurs on a weekly basis mm. at the moment. It's I, terrifying. I use that to get out of doing like chores for my own benefit. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, the world's ending. Who cares if the if it's dusty? Like, you know, global warming is going to take all of us. And if you were here for more life-affirming messages, then you've come to the right place. Absolutely. So what are we talking about this week? Well, firstly, I mean, you haven't asked me how I'm doing or how I've been. How are you, Ryan? Well, uh, now that you mention it. (laughs) No, the only reason I say that is because uh, what I I did last week was I uh, took a day trip to London. And one of the places I visited was the Cartoon Museum. And specifically, it's cartoons as in their first iteration, which was uh, like single panel uh, yeah. cartoons, like uh, like you see in newspapers and stuff yeah, now. Yeah. Inkies. Yes. And the reason that, I mean, it's great. It's a great uh, museum. It's in London, near Soho, Chinatown, that kind of area. Um, highly recommend going. It's literally, like you do it in an hour. So it's it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, very interesting. The, the one of the key takeaways I got was... The actual, as we know it, the cartoon, the word, literally yeah. started because there were these single frame illustrations 
single panel illustrations, maybe with a caption, that were the basically became popular in the late 1700s. And the reason they did, so obviously there were, you know, there was illustration, there was painting, there was all of that, you know, for centuries beforehand. But the cartoon came about specifically because they were ways to get across satirical political messages. Like old Punch and Judy comics. Yeah, and uh, that was fascinating to me because the difference between like a painting where you're just trying to get across like, is a person in a forest and there's a cross in the background and it's probably Jesus and you know all that kind of mm. like it's it's very uh metaphoric and that kind of thing the satirical comics were literally trying to get across a a story or a narrative in a single panel and, and I, it's so interesting because I studied history for a bit and there are certain political cartoons that I've retained mm there, there, there's, there's like the political cartoon of Disraeli, Benjamin Disraeli at the top of the greasy pole, mm. um, has stuck with me, and I've retained it. Or the cartoons of Oscar Wilde around his trial against Lord Salisbury. Was um, that for sodomy? It was for defam. He was suing Lord Salisbury for defamation of character. Ah, uh, I'm getting confused when when Oliver Wilde. Uh, also, Oliver Wilde, Oscar Wilde, when he was in court, because he... He was never in court for sodomy. Oh, that's a misconception on my part, then. So, yeah, no, the Marquis of Salisbury, Salisbury, um, no, not Salisbury, Queensbury, um, he was his boyfriend's dad, Bosie's dad, and he published and wrote, some, wrote and said some really scandalous things about Oscar, and so Oscar took him to court for defamation of character. Were the things he said about him later turned out to be true? They were really fucking true, yeah. <laughs> it was all about him bumming his son. And um, if there's one thing that Oscar Wilde liked, it was a bit of bum. Bosey was a dick. Right. But Bo- Bo- Bosey, Bosey is long regarded as the reason that he aged as quickly as he did. Um, Bosey was a bit of a bellend. A brilliant writer. Mm, I mean, they all, they all tend to be, don't they? Yeah, he went, he went on to be a prolific writer and editor in his own right, did Bosey. Um, and his dad... The Marquis of Queensbury invented the Queensbury rules for box. I see Queensbury rules. I always thought that as a joke. I've no. heard that refer to like other things. Like, oh, we're playing Queensbury rules as like a joke where you play like cricket or something. Yeah, no, Queensbury rule. The Queensbury rules were the the standard rules of engagement for boxing for right. a long time, and they were invented by Oscar Wilde's boyfriend's dad. Hmm. I mean, the more you know, the more you know, the more useless information you have to catalogue. There was one interesting thing in the cartoon um, museum was one yeah, of the one, no you're right one of the earliest ones I was just gonna say is uh, it was really simple like getting a message across so the reason the early these early cartoons were um, political messages was because most people couldn't read yeah or at the very least couldn't read long form so they could you know they knew a bit but yeah. they couldn't read like so if you were if you were someone who was at the time smart enough and skilled enough to write a like scathing you know. Um, dissertation or something on the, the pamphlet it was yeah. called at the time wouldn't it on the powers the be and if most people can't read it what's the point but then they got illustrators would then make this single panel and it was just obvious immediately because they could like uniforms of who it was and and that got across messages one of the earliest ones was there was one where the uh queen's guard or someone would like march through the streets mm. and basically were like absolute dicks to people when they were doing it and then because Nothing people... Nothing just changed, does it? No, not at all. <laughs> but then what's interesting is as people were then like complaining about them being dicks, the government at the time or the the, probably the crown or whoever was in charge at the time basically put out like, uh, 
you know, show some respect to these guys when they're walking through the streets mm. kind of thing. So one of the earliest, definitely wasn't the first, but it was one of the earliest popular ones was a cartoon of those soldiers walking through the streets, very proud and upright, walking over peasants, like mm. stepping on them. So it was a very quick, like you didn't need to read. It was just very obvious, like, here's what we think of these people. You know, they spread it around and people got the message immediately. And that was what, gave birth to, literally to the word cartoon was those kinds of things and that was 17th century so 1600s. late late seven no no sorry late 1700s so like late, 1780 but the 18th century going into the 19th century yeah exactly um that's interesting yeah i mean talking about the queen's guard it's really fascinating that there are still memes about the queen's guard and tiktok is still largely obsessed with the goings on of the queen's guard and... well americans are aren't they because we are over it we're like that's just their job yeah i suppose an english person touristing in london probably isn't going going to go and look at the queen's guard because we've seen it yeah and we're used to <clears throat> we're used to grown men being stoic to a fault where they won't move <laughs> that's the british way <laughs> that's so true isn't it uh, uh, over a certain age if you're not actively doing anything you're just standing still staring into space that's yes. like your hobby you know I also attended, well, I say attended, I went to a comic book shop in London, one of the yeah. ones I hadn't been to already. And I tell you what, we're not going to run out of uh, content for this. I felt like walls for? to walls of comics. And I was like, yeah. we're not going to run. I often think of those kind of shops because I, I have that same experience in like secondhand bookshops. Do you sometimes think that it's not actually a business venture, but just an extension of one guy's collection? Oh, well, <laughs> if it was a collection, they probably wouldn't have it out where people could get their grimy fingers on it, you know? Yeah, but you have to be able to justify it to the missus, don't you? Yeah. But there's like, oh, can I buy this one? No, that, that one's not for sale. <laughs> <laughs> it's my only copy. I've definitely, I've definitely, I was in a bookshop the other day and I saw a beautiful signed first edition of a Terry Pratchett novel. And it was like on a top shelf, unobtainably high. Like my partner's 5'11". She's a really tall woman and she couldn't reach it. And so we had to get the guy to get it done. And I was like, how much is that then, mate? And he went, oh, I don't know. I don't really want to. <laughs> I don't know if I could part with yeah, that. Yeah. It's in your you, shop. You own a bookshop. <laughs> it's a book. But I, I genuinely have those conversations with booksellers sometimes where I have to negotiate with them for them to sell the book to me at all. And oftentimes it'll be like, I'll have to justify that I'm a genuine like enthusiast of, in, of the author. And that I know enough about Pratchett, for instance, to be the new custodian of this thing. But what are they afraid? What's the opposite? Is someone going to be like, oh, can I buy that book? And then they take like a TikTok with it and then just set it on fire when they're done. Well, like this is it. Like, I don't know what they're expecting me to do with it. But hmm. there, the, on that occasion, I had to convince the guy that I'd been a librarian and was a huge Pratchett fan and was currently collecting first editions of Pratchett. Sir, I assure you, I was a librarian. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's what they all say. Get out. It was mental. <laughs> he was a really nice bloke, but he did not want to sell me that book. Who would lie about being a librarian? <laughs> who would who would boast oh, about I'm from that? the thought of the librarian, sir. Yeah, that's what they all say. <laughs> I tell you what, that you remind me as well, when I was walking through London, um, there were a couple of like comic book things around like the yeah. museum the shop and there was a couple in between and Did you I, have a comic comic day it sounds like you had quite a comic day i picked out things because we're doing this so i was kind of like i suppose i should do things that you know that's kind give of cool. me credentials as the comic expert which yeah. i claim not to be but yeah. um i walked past uh, i mean this gives you a good idea i walked past one shop and i looked at the window and i was like oh that's another comic book shop it's like but they're, they're like big they're like larger comics they're like quite thick they're like graphic novel collection or something 
It was books. It was just books. <laughs> it was a bookshop. But they were hardcovers. But my mind went straight to graphic novel volumes oh, than so good. just books. Yeah, like, they were just cookbooks. I don't remind myself like, oh yeah, they sometimes do words without the pictures. <laughs> like an idiot. It's comic books missing all the pictures. Look, if you're listening to this podcast, you are like me. You you forget the existence of books sometimes. Can we also, can we also, I, I would like to introduce a very, very brief segment mm. into the podcast. Um, just to make me accountable for, for reading. Which is the what is Jamie reading section. Okay. For any of our more literate minded Can we call it hang on, can we call it What are you reading, you so called librarian? And it's just that every week. Either that or the pictures are missing from Jamie's books. Yeah. He's got comics without pictures. Yeah. Comics section. Do you know what? Because you're letting me do this, um, you can name it. Yeah, I think uh comics without pictures or comics with too many words. One of those. Yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna get it. Okay, I'll fill time. Um, I tell you what, very quickly before we do that, I will fill a little time. You can have a stroll through your uh, through your book there. Yeah, uh, a little bit of news for the first time. We're actually, Ooh, we're we're we do news? we're we're actually um, it's sad news, unfortunately. So we can't get too excited about it. Oh no, I don't know what this is. I yeah, it's uh, it's did somebody die? Yes, someone did oh, die. No. Uh, so trying to sound too happy about it. Um, it was a it was illustrator, uh, famous illustrator Kevin O'Neill, um, who died at sixty nine last week. Uh, he had cancer for a while, but he was a big, big impact in the comics uh, industry, and his work has definitely influenced people. Uh, biggest title that he's known to, biggest title that he's known to is uh, the he was the co creator of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is not only is one of my favorites. It's very good. He done other stuff as well, martial law, cinema. Purgatorio, I think I've pronounced correctly, um, and a bunch of other. He did a bunch of other stuff outside of comics as well. It's great man, but um, but just by the work alone, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I, I mentioned this specifically because any man who could put up with working with Alan Moore must be <laughs> something special. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's becoming a running theme where we shoot on Alan Moore every episode. Uh, who is himself a fantastic writer, probably a very nice person by all like means. Like one of my favourite comic writers of all time, yes. but there's just something about him when I see him in that advert. He's such an old curmudgeon who thinks he's a wizard, and that's just <laughs> such an easy... But he's great as well. And Alan, He's like a shit Terry Pratchett. Alan, if you're listening, we do love you. Uh, open invitation to come on the podcast and tell us how wrong we are. I would... Oh my God, I would love to have a conversation with Alan Moore. That would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, give it a couple more episodes, get us established, but... Uh, yeah, <laughs> a couple gonna, more episodes. It can happen any day. So this now is the new section of the show uh, where it's Jamie tells us about his comic book without pictures. I'm probably getting a less wordy title. So uh, it's, I'm going to keep it brief. Um, mm. It's by a called, guy called Laurens Vanderpost. Sounds made up, but go on. Um, and it's called The Seed and the Sower. And it is described as a compelling story of captors and captives in a Japanese POW camp. What's interesting about this is that it was filmed as a not major motion picture by the title of Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, starring the late, great David Bowie. David Bowie. David Bowie. David Bowie. <laughs> oh, no. I know, I know. Are you Bowie. not one of those, are you? I say it for a laugh. Okay, okay, that's... That's okay, though. I think it's our generation was slightly influenced by that French joke where Ross gets the uh, yeah. piss. He goes, who am I? David Bowie? <laughs> it's like, is that what he does? Like, I don't know who he is. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, so it's, it's, it's a really wonderful story about a South African um, uh, soldier imprisoned in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. It's written, I'm assuming, shortly after the Second World War. 
Um, and it's a really interesting deep dive into the into Japanese culture and the mindset of the Japanese soldier and also just some really fabulously written characters. But I would recommend watching the film first because then when you read it, you get to picture David Bowie. Mm. I mean, some people know David Bowie enough that you can... Like, I could picture him right now and I'm he, not even a big fan. No, he's fabulous in it. Okay. It's he's a very specific re- performance. Yeah, he's He was really an underrated actor for everything he's else he did. a fucking incredible actor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, um, I, love, I, love, I love Labyrinth. But Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence is like my favorite Bowie film. Um, suddenly I watched it really recently and the book is excellent. And if you get the, the Penguin edition, like the old 80s paperback, it, it's a recover for the film and it has David Bowie on the front looking really handsome. He does look very, I can vouch for the listeners, he does look very handsome. Uh, Doesn't there. he? It, looks, it kind of looks a bit like, um, like Steve McQueen. Blonde? Steve McQueen playing Jesus. Yeah, but blonde, uh, short blonde hair. Yeah, Steve McQueen. But he's McQueen, doing the pose. Steve McQueen is a sexy military Jesus. Yes. Um, but that's that's it. Yeah, I just want to hold myself accountable. That's good. For and reading. I will hold you accountable. Uh, we'll in, uh, I'll tell you what, we'll institute some kind of uh, reward punishment system. So okay. like, the reward is you get to talk about a book for a, a small section. Uh, the punishment will... We'll we'll decide later. I'm thinking something okay. like physically painful. You know? Okay, that's fine. I'm cool with that. Yeah, well, we'll work that out because. Um, but you know, recurring. Oh, uh, I mean, the punishment could be even just me being like, "Should have read your book," because <laughs> the pain from that alone. Yeah, that's enough for someone like yeah. me. I'll tell you what. I'll do a quick one as well. This will be um, this will be Ryan's section of um, pictures that moved so fast they formed a moving image <laughs> section. <laughs> Like like a flip book, but okay. on a television. <laughs> like a flip book. As if they don't know what TV is. I mean, also as a film, technically. But still, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm, the listener, I'm receding further into my blanket as Ryan is saying I can barely things. see him. So I watched, I mean, I, I normally watch something like every week, like a, a, a single thing, uh, more of a TV person myself, but I'll, I'll yeah. watch a film when, uh, when one piques my interest. And um, you, you kind of set the bar, like, was it high brow, the brow high with your thing? Cause it's I set all the like, brow quite high. The brow is quite high. <laughs> uh, I'm going to lower it now, but in a good way, a very good way. I watched Weird, the Al Yankovic story, which is... It's, I heard that was being made. It's now out. It just came out. Um, the biopic, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's a, amazing. It's a weirdo biopic, and it's quite funny. Uh, it's, well, it would need to be. Yes, and it is a parody of biopics. But the great thing is that it's a parody. It's a parody biopic about a man who has made his living and fame so making good. parodies. I thought it was just going to be a straight biopic. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, it is as well because there are true things in it so like uh weird al said this in an interview one of the bits in there is he when he wants to record his first song him and his friends they're like where we can't afford a studio man like how are we gonna do this like back in like the uh, 80s early 80s yeah. I think. and they're like i tell you what the acoustics in the bathroom on the campus are pretty good so we could go there and they just set up recording in there and recording there and weird al's <laughs> like yeah that part's true actually like, that actually happened <laughs> That's not a joke. Oh, I'm, I'm going to watch it. That sounds great. Yeah. 
and the the inspiration for the jokes uh for his, for the songs are so good because yeah. everyone knows like if you if you're watching the weird al film you know weird al songs exactly um but the inspiration part because you know when it's about to happen and they set them up so heavily handed that it's funny yeah but like one point he's like yeah i just want to make songs i want to take existing songs and change the words in them and do it make them something else and they're like we believe in you man like his friends they're like, yeah, but how about you make us some sandwiches first? And they're like, sandwiches, sandwiches. He's like, all right, guys, I'll make you sandwiches. And then he goes and gets like a big pack of bologna out. And he's like looking at the bologna. He's like, Steve, is this your bologna? He's like, yeah, that's my bologna. He's like, your bologna? He's like, my bologna. He's like, okay. And then on the song, he's like, my Sharona. And he's like looking at the bologna and looking at the radio, looking at the bologna, looking at the radio. And you're like, just get on with it. And that's the joke in the time. So, Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have to watch it. Yeah. Highly recommend lots of cameos. Evan Rachel Wood is in it playing Madonna from Westworld. So it's like... Uh, Weird Al plays a producer who tells him there's no business in parody songs. Okay. So, yeah, highly recommend. Uh, Should we have a rating system? Yeah, I'll give it. Um, uh, what's, the, what's it out of? Um, should it be a five rating system, but five somethings out of a something? Yeah, that's fine. Um, I would give this five uh, accordions. Mm, oh, funny enough. Uh, this is all staying in. Oh, yes, it has to, yeah. The dead air, all the dead air has to stay in. I mean, if it's contextually funny, then we'll put it in. Um, <laughs> if it's contextually funny. I would give... uh what we're banking on. I'd give uh, Weird, the Alan Yankovic story, five parody stars. So they're not real stars, but they're parodies of stars. Okay. So technically it's got zero, but it's got five parody stars. I'm going to give... I'm going to give The Seed and the Sower, having read the first hundred and something pages. Five Japanese prisoners of war. Three starving prisoners of wars relieved from the camp, two still dead. Okay, that makes sense. Because yeah. if you don't get if you don't get all five, then two have to die. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. that's it. So Makes should we start? Yes. Should we actually, like, talk about the thing? Yeah, but this is, this is a preamble. This it's is, just, yeah. We're having a little fun. We're just kind of getting into it, you You're know? coming back, sitting down with friends, but yeah, you're not actually nice. here because you're a listener somewhere else. But, you know, you're, you're back with the it's, friends. You're finding out what we're doing, what we're up to, what we're reading, what we're watching. It's exactly. Nice. And we haven't spoken at all between episodes. It's like no, all, so we, I, haven't, we haven't been out together. I got here and set up. Just total silence. You try talk to me at one point. I was like, no, 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 podcast. Save it for the podcast. Exactly. Gonna very quickly while you. So this week, uh, of act- well, we're going to be doing something a little differently from the only two episodes we've done previously. But two or three. Two. This is number three. Okay. Yeah, we did the mission statement one that may or may not be released further down the line. Yeah, no, this it's is three, isn't it? Third official, um, third official episode, but something slightly different because we're doing a. a comic series that came out and started this year it's only got seven issues out and it's called rogue sun which um i think doing ones that come out i just got the pun (laughs) 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 you're like you're like what is that there's a so there's a wrestling podcast i listen to there's um there's a character called you know the undertaker yeah, you know, yeah. everyone knows the undertaker he has a manager or he used to before he died but he had a manager whose name was paul bearer and one of the podcasts oh. I to, the podcast issue the guy is an issue like he was like in his like late 20s when he was like wait paul Be- paul bearer <laughs> paul bearer oh. yeah i just got the pun yeah Bro, I just son. Got it. yeah i just got it not a subtle pun but uh but it's not a subtle book no 
and uh, this was going to be one of my points of it, but we'll, we'll get into it. What I will do very quickly first is I've got the, the blurb from it. And oh, we can, we can make up our own. Well, no, no. Well, I was, oh, well, was going to do can, something. I was going to read the blurb in like voiceover trailer style. Oh, okay. Or you attempt can do that. to at least. That's fine. So, you can do that. So Rogue Sun is a comic issue uh, series being released right now. And the blurb is, so, Rogue Sun. Yesterday, New Orleans' greatest hero, Rogue Sun, was murdered. Today, rebellious teenager Dylan Siegel discovers that Rogue Sun was his estranged father, Marcus, and that he's inherited his father's mantle. Tasked with protecting our world from the forces of the supernatural and solving his father's murder, Dylan will be forced to come to terms with the man he spent the majority of his life hating. From acclaimed writer Ryan Parrott, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Dead Day, and rising star artist Abel, one, one name, Abel, that's, uh, he made Harley Quinn in Crimes of Passion. Oh. Yeah. Comes a supernatural murder mystery that explores the complicated bond between father and son and cements itself squarely in a corner of the Image Comics superhero universe. Well done. Thank you. I hope if anyone's listening, I could be cast for, uh, for children's birthdays. <laughs> It was written by a guy who wrote for Power Rangers. Apparently, yeah, that's what the like the, wiki the is. Western adaptation. I, there must be Power Rangers comics in English. So he wrote for a Power Rangers comic. I assume from reading that, I assume so. Yeah, because typically they they include other comic titles when talking about a new comic that the person's doing. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I thought I thought it was going to be some random Korean dude who'd written. The original Power Rangers. Oh, the original Power Rangers, definitely. No, he, they've, they've like re-released a title, yeah. a modern title, and they've picked him up for that. So, yeah, Power Rangers is a weird one. But we're not talking about Power Rangers. We're talking about Rogue Sun, and it's uh, not on the nose, or too on the nose parody name, um, title. Yeah, it's, um, I know you I know you have a list, and you want to kind of go through the not list. Not necessarily. It's a bit of a different one, because it's a new one with not much. Yeah. So I think if we're doing any kind of structure... Let's do a, just a little, little bit about what it's like without spoiling any of it. So just like, yeah. you know, the th- general themes and like quality and that kind of stuff. A little bit of that. And then we'll just get into the first six issues because you've only read the first six. Yeah. I might mention a little bit on the seventh, but the first six is its first story arc. So yeah. That so it's about parenthood and magic. Yes. And f- you tell from the blurb immediately, it's, it's about a complicated relationship between the main character and the father. Were you getting a lot of Tony Stark and Peter Parker? No, but only because that's kind of one of the later versions of something I've seen. There's been done quite a bit in comics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in literature especially. Comics has quite a few characters that are very father-based. Yeah. I'm not sure where we left off. We had a slight technical issue. Microphone Uh, fell off. The microphone fell off through completely unknown reasons. Possibly a ghost, uh, for all we know. (laughs) Um, I was saying about, uh, this is going to be like, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was a second ago. We were talking remember. about the fatherhood oh, the father-son relationship. Yes. in so, comic books. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of that, especially in superheroes, because it's one of the, you know, just superheroes have done so much. They've done every topic like a hundred times at least. Biggest ones are um, the, uh, from what I remember, uh, Star-Lord and his dad, they, they've done in the MCU. Mm. But that was big in the comics. There's the new character Nova, uh, the, the original Nova. His son took the mantle, so there's that father-son here, which is very reminiscent of this because 
the characters have a thing that activates in the Nova Core. They have the, a helmet, whereas this is the stone that turns you into the superhero. There's a MacGuffin. Yes. There's a MacGuffin that turns them into the superhero. Yes. And one of the things that, I don't think this is a spoiler, but one of the things that very much interested me about this story and its version of this, you know, old trope is most of those other ones, the dad has been gone for some reason and it just turns out immediately that they were gone for noble reasons. Like they were captured or they had to go and fight, you know, this war or save Marcus is just a douche. Exactly. And I like that about this. I like that it's different because, I said, all the other ones are noble, and this one's like, no, he's a just a, he's a shitty guy. He's an absent father. He's a hero, and he saves people every day. But he, you know, he had to just he just bailed. He didn't have to. Yeah, I'm he chose s- to bail. I'm scared that in one of the there's a flashback bit which kind of delves into that previous relationship. I'm scared they're going to give him a noble reason or a semi noble reason because he has a bit of that kind of like I didn't want to leave you, but I had to kind of thing, and I'm like. I want you to still be that shitty person, that shitty absent father who left through choice. So something that, because I, I read it all in half an hour before we started recording. Yeah. Um, and so I absorbed the arc in one go. Something that struck me about it when consumed in that way, and I don't know if you would have had the same sense of it if you'd bought each issue over six months. Um, but I got a sense that... Th- the writers were really keen to paint these characters in very defined broad strokes so that they could very quickly subvert their characterizations. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, we, we're introduced to Dylan as a bully mm. and then introduced to him as a hero within two to three pages, which is a, which is, which is a very, very prompt establishing of a character trait and then a subversion of that character trait. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they were going to try and introduce some nobility into Marcus's character just by the way they've been writing it and how quickly they're they're trying to set these characters up and then subvert them. Well, I'm hoping that the subversion doesn't... I hope the subversions are an added layer and not just replacing what's interesting. So I don't want Dylan to... So Dylan Sato Bully, he's he's making, you know, smaller, weaker kids do his homework for him. Yeah. One of them he seems to be kind of still pally with, still kind of friendly with. Um, there's like a quid pro quo, but but then it's like, is this kid just pally because he doesn't want to get beaten the shit out of? And how noble is that? But they're setting him up like a bully, which again I really liked because again, it subverts the expectations of other comics. It's most of the time, like any character, most know be someone like Peter Parker, Spider-Man. I was about to say Peter Parker or Miles Morales. Yep. Uh, no, Miles Morales has his, his mum and dad still around. Oh, I was talking about them being a bully. Oh, well, what I meant was, so what the point I was going to get at was you have these characters who either have childhood tragedies or they have missing parents or for whatever reasons, mm. and they still turn out absolutely amazing. Like, the pure of heart, like, what you know, if they've been through troubles, why would they take out on someone else because they're so yeah. pure? Whereas Dylan has had a missing father for... for 15 years. And he acts like it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I liked. I was like, this is interesting. I like, I knew he was going to get powers and become a superhero. So I'm like, I want to see how this, what this effect has on him. Yeah. And you see it, he doesn't just suddenly become good. He's reconciling these, these learned um, negative qualities that he just can't help but do because of his upbringing. And, mm. but at the same time, he wants to be a superhero and save people. But I don't think that's out of nobility. I think that is like I, he, the aspirational, like we'd all like to be a superhero and save the day and be cheered, that kind of thing. He's not like, 
he's not quite at the level of like doing it out of just the goodness of his heart. No, and he shares a lot of his dad's character flaws in as much as um, really early on we see him rooting through an empty fridge. And then as soon as he discovers he has the powers, his reasoning is, well, a superhero is always going to be all right. Mm. And his dad, his his mum kind of makes it quite clear that his dad was um, taking his taking what he felt were his dues financially. Um, when he, you know, when he prevented a bank robbery, he'd skim a little bit off the top. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Dylan seems to share those qualities with his dad. Marcus and Dylan, I would I would have to double take sometimes to see which one was speaking, because they were so similar in the way they were characterized, and they intentionally look very similar yeah, as well, don't yeah. they? Yeah, and there's so many little interesting things there. I I like you say they established the the characters very early on, and it it's not subtle at all with the messaging or the themes or what, any of that. I think that's a fault of the medium, the the monthly release. Yeah, I don't know that it's a fault either. I think I think it comes off less subtle, but as you say, the advantage is that they get two things quicker as well. Yeah. So, but I think it's the other mediums would maybe go at it a little more subtly, build up things up a little more. Whereas this one has to be like, he's a bully and now it's a superhero and his dad's dead and, you know, he hates his dad. And like, they like rush through all this. Yeah. But I think that's because with the monthly release, issue one has to be like, get on board. This is what we're doing. This yeah. is why it's interesting. Whereas like a film or a TV show, they can be a bit more slow build. And, and we often, and I think, I think when I reread why, I got the same sense as well, which is actually that that first arc of a new book is over and done with very quickly because they're trying to get that immediate buy-in, particularly something like this, which is a completely new character. It's a completely new book. This isn't just the latest Spider-Man or Batman reboot. This is somebody's project that they're trying to invest you in on a monthly basis. And so they needed to give you an engaging story over the first half a year that you're reading it and so actually what took me half an hour took most people most of 2022 and so it, it needs to punch that hard and it needs to travel that quickly doesn't it just for the medium to work i think you notice a similarity between that and why because uh, they're both monthly releases yeah so they, yeah this is what i mean i, I mean both on image aren't yeah they? why had to do bloody um the outbreak and the killing of all men like in issue one to be like <laughs> this is what's happening yeah. this is why it's important get on board but yeah um there's and there was no like and they made use of exposition to set the scene which because they were put they they placed it in a really a really famous location well that's going to be one of my points was that new orleans uh, it was interesting to see that's rare for a superhero comic to set itself somewhere like that but they've not made any use of it being in new orleans not since the f no they do a bit in the first issue and then it's just we well, moved on they he the fact that it's the fact that it's in new orleans is revealed only through exposition and i feel like new orleans is so unique culturally and architecturally that actually if you were going to set a comic book there you could use the visual language of New Orleans to really set that scene. Whereas reading the book, it just looked like Middle America. Yeah. Once you got past the first issue where they were like, look, we're in New Orleans, then it was like anywhere USA. Yeah. And, and 
And I don't know if that's because the first issue was in New Orleans and the rest isn't. No, it must all be. I think it's all in. I don't know. I don't have a strong sense of setting. Yeah, no, you're all right. You're all right. I don't have a strong sense of setting from it. Um, And I think that's really interesting because they chose such a strong setting and they chose a setting which, unlike any other place in America, would have this really palatable, noticeable effect on the action of the story because New Orleans is so different culturally to the rest of America that it it just seemed like an odd choice that they've not followed through on. Like, it's a cool place to set a comic and New Orleans has this... There's a visual language they could have been drawing on that they haven't drawn on and I find that really interesting. Hopefully it's a case of something they'll revisit further down or as long as they go. When they've got a bit more space. Yes, and I think there, there probably was an importance to be like, Right, we've set the scene, we've set we've introduced characters, we need to do the story now and yeah. get it get it done and so we can then go past it. Um what is interesting I think as well is that it does contain a lot of superhero tropes. Oh and everywhere. There's definitely an uh, there's a good balance, I think. And I wonder so would you say you're not as superhero literate for lack of a better word? Not as superhero literate as like other like as well, especially as me. Um did you notice like those superhero tropes or could you tell them not being used to them as much yeah i know i mean i noticed them they're mm. hard to miss aren't they well what i was gonna say i thought it's a good balance between having those and for anyone who's someone who might come in not knowing them but you still get the story it still explains every beat but like me i'm thinking like oh it's like green lantern or it's like you know mm. um uh like uh god damn it um Nova, it's yeah, like yeah, Nova, yeah. and it's it's had like an item that gives you powers and transforms you, and it can be passed on to other people and all that. Was also interesting as well as I didn't realize this until after I read the six issues. This mm. is actually part of a large universe. So, oh well, that changes things. Image Comics is releasing superhero type or essentially superhero stories mm. that are being listed under the Massive Verse. I have no idea why it's called that because I've only read Rogue's, Rogue Sun and they yeah. haven't obviously explained anything about that yet. When did but, they start that? Uh, apparently back in February 2021. So there's been other ones that have been going and right. now Rogue Sun's another one that's presumably going to be a part of, you know, they're going to have their own kind of Avengers Justice League style, you know, team yeah. ups or something like that. And it's going to be interesting now. I'm literally having this thought now. It's going to be interesting seeing Dylan interact with other superheroes because mm. he's had a very different way of, you know, getting to that life. Yeah, and he's not particularly powerful. Well, we, yeah, hopefully his powers will grow because, like, his dad was saying, it's like, I need to teach you everything. And Dylan's like, ah, whatever. Ah, I don't give a fuck that. No. Uh, I think we can get into the spoilers of the first six issues. Oh, but, yeah, we have to. Yeah. But will say if you want to read this comic and you don't want it spoiled highly recommend yeah <laughs> highly recommend i i for me as someone's a super fan it's it's an interesting take it's interesting enough to stand on its own without just being like yeah. a super pad- parody got interesting themes again not subtle but still makes for very interesting conflict good characters good development i spent a fun enough half hour with it exactly and it's um it's definitely worth reading for the sake of how short a run it is now and how mm. how little um pre well, you know um information you need beforehand it's not like jumping into spider-man or batman and i think this is what charmed me about it is that 
it's a superhero comic that nobody's going to go, oh, well, technically, in 1973, there was a precedent whereby Dylan can only use his Blackfire if he's slightly upset. It doesn't... It's it's a comic... It's a super... If you want that itch scratched, but you don't want to have to sift through 70 years' worth of lore, it's an interesting choice, because there's seven issues of it so far, and you can get in at the ground floor. And just enjoy it for what it is, which is a camp superhero story. And also, if you're not that bothered about the superhero aspect, I will say it's a pretty good story because it's also just about shitty people who are kind of making the best of things. And Yeah, it's a very familiar story of absentee fathers. Yeah. Um, and it... So, I think we just need to spoil it. Yeah. Um, one thing I will start off with in my notes is something I noticed, which I think you'll get a kick out of as well. Mm. Image Comics, who publish this, um, I think we're going to be revisiting them a lot because they do not only superhero stuff, but they mostly do non-superhero yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. and have a high high bar of quality. They they make a lot of comics, mm. but they do hit the peaks on like some of the best comics. So we're going to be hitting them a lot. But what I noticed on these issues, on the front of them, is that image is 30 years old this year. That's crazy, isn't it? I know, we're the same age as a publication that's been going, well, since we were born. So I thought that was interesting. And we think of image as the new kids on the Yeah, yeah. I mean, compared to Marvel and DC, they relatively still are. since the 40s or 50s, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, Marvel DC for sure, yeah. Mar- under different names, but essentially, yes. So. But yeah, so I thought that was good. Um, yeah, we're definitely in spoilers now, winter everything. Um, some of my notes I've already covered, like... Uh, I did note that in one of the um, pr- post-issue writings from the uh, from the from the writer, his parents are divorced. And I think that plays oh. a heavy a heavy influence on this story. Yeah, doesn't it just? Especially when the one of the biggest spoilers that we'll give away now for the fifth issue is uh, at the be- at the very beginning, uh, Marcus the dad is killed by a supervillain who seemingly comes out of nowhere, kills him and fucks off. It's revealed in issue five that the uh, supervillain is in fact Dylan's mum. It's fucking straight out of the Greek mythology. Your mum kills your dad. Exactly. Like it is just right in there. It's Gaia, the earth mother killing her husband. Um, Yeah. It's just straight out of Greek mythology, isn't it? And one part I thought was particularly great but the other thing is that the dad, who is dead, his soul has been entwined <laughs> with the sunstone that makes the powers. Let's let's not. I don't. Right, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dignify this by trying to wrestle with its language. His dad is force ghosting. Yes, essentially, his yes. dad is force ghosting when he's in the suit. But it's an interesting one because the so the force ghosting that's like anywhere and everywhere. This is like. Oh, you want this sunstone? You want this powers? Oh, yes, please. Well, you have to speak to your dead dad who you hate. Like, it's that combination that mm. they're so linked. Like, if you want to do this thing, you have to speak to this person yeah. who you hate. Um, so the dad is there. He's talking to him and he's just a shithead, which is great. Because, again, he's he's not, it's not like, oh, I actually have to leave to save the universe. It's no, like, there nah, is a point shitty. where he admits that he gave Dylan the suit purely because he didn't want to put his real son yes the, at risk so the one of the the biggest points as well is the dad basically told dylan's mum oh i just i can't have a family or i could i you couldn't you guys won't be safe 
whatever. And then years later, it's like, oh no, I married some other bird and we've had kids now. Yeah, and yeah. So he has other kids who he considers real kids and he they are younger than Dylan. And that must play a part. Like when he's like, he basically says to Dylan, um, all right, fine. I gave it to you because I didn't want to give it to my real kids because I didn't want to put them in danger, which is shitty and possibly true. But also the kids are younger. Like, what are they going to do? Dylan's Be- not old himself. Dylan's like 17. He's 17. But the kids, like the oldest is the girl who's made, what, like 12, 13, maybe? Yeah. So, you know, if you the choice, if your only choices are a 13-year-old, a 17-year-old, I'm probably going to give it a 17-year-old regardless. Are we are we positioning ourselves for American audiences or British audiences? Uh, we're global, baby. We're we're um, uh, bulldog. So we're allowed to be Mis- British. We're, we're Mister Worldwide. So we're allowed to be British here. Yeah, be British. The sister's a devious cunt. Well, she is, but she explains her actions. She's trying to. So the 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 other family are not only aware of um, Marcus's superheroes; they know everything. Like he's been fully open with yeah. them. They know everything, unlike Dylan did. Um, and the other family, they know he's in the suit and still kind of alive. But like the, 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 like the, the other mum, who seems to be decent, we will see as it goes. Mm, she's like, like she's like, nah, he's dead. Like whatever that thing is in the suit, he's dead. <laughs> and Dylan's like, too right. Um, but the kids, they they know he's alive. I like there's interactions where Dylan uh, was it like yeah the the sister she's like. Oh, is he there? And the dad's like, tell her I'm not here. And then and he says, like, dad tells me to tell you he's not here. <laughs> exactly. But there's also bits where Dylan relays better messages to the son. Yes. And there's all kinds of things about, did the son do this or that? Did the daughter do this or that? And the daughter, again, she explains her actions. She thinks she's saving her dad from the suit. She still sets a soul-eating demon on Dylan. Yeah, yeah. But that then is, he's not that bothered. That like, is fuckery of the highest order yeah but one of <laughs> the part i was gonna say i really liked was the mid-fight argument between dylan his supervillain mum and his dead um, dad. his dead dad yeah. and it literally reads like divorcing parents mm. fighting over the child and not just fighting over him but like trying to be like no i'm the good parent they're the shithead and like nah they're lying i'm the that felt they... very very real you know fighting for control of the child and they are absolutely doing the thing that you strive not to do as a parent or a step parent in a joint custody situation yeah 100% they are virtue signaling and they are and they are allowing their grievances to affect the child to such a degree that he's kind of in the middle of this mortal battle with this soul eating demon and he has to put his head in his hands and just say i can't do it anymore yeah um because, and 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 i think that's any, I mean, I'm not a child of divorce, and neither are you, are you? No. We are part of the minority, I think, at this point. These days, yes. But I imagine that that's really consistent of a lot of people's experience of living with divorced parents. I think I think I had about half of friends who had divorced parents, and they, you know, from what little they spoke about it was, it sometimes turned into that. Yeah, most of my friends growing up came from one-parent families or... Um, fa- you know, families with split custody of some sort. Yeah, and so this is a very universal experience that they're talking talking about. That uh, yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I'm recommending the book so much. It's it's hard to explain why it's good to, without explaining the story, mm. but they I think they do a really good job of using the superhero story as a um metaphor or whatever you'd call it, like a you know just a a vehicle for the humanistic problems that anyone can relate to 
because even if your parents didn't divorce, probably argued, and this is that similar thing, like a lot of parents who didn't even divorce might have done this similar thing to kids as well. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, but I think something that's really unique of the experience of a child of divorced parents is the, the parents arguing through them. Yes. So parents who can't be in the same space. Well, Dylan's mum and dad physically can't be in the same space because his dad doesn't exist in that temporal space anymore. Dylan's dad is literally arguing through his son. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I think that, you know, children will experience that. Children will experience it where parents will try and weaponize their children and they will go back and forth between two different family homes and they will literally have their dad's voice in their ear. Yep. Mum's yep. new boyfriend's a cat. Like, yes. you know, it will, it will be that kind of thing. And so, yeah, no, I, had, I hadn't considered it that deeply when I was reading it, but that's certainly in there, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's, it, it makes very good use of the supernatural setting. And there's, a, there's an old um, saying that I quote with sci-fi, but I think it's, it's applicable to any kind of fantasy or magic or anything. But it said good sci-fi isn't about the sci-fi, it's about using the sci-fi as a vehicle to, um, to kind of examine the human experience and the human, you know, uh, Conditions. Did Arthur C. Clarke or Isaac Asimov? Or I feel like it's Asimov. I very, I could be. We love I'm like, Asimov. I'm like two percent sure on that. But yeah, and that's the same thing with Stupir. You can use any kind of fantastical trope to just, you know, self-examine, especially when you are examining your own things, and then you just project that onto like pre-existing superhero tropes or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's what all fantasy and sci-fi really does when it's working. Yes. One part I thought was very clever was in the first fight, Dylan's dad knows how much Dylan hates him, and he gets him to punch him. Gets him to punch him, knowing that the enemy is behind, is coming behind where he's standing. And that standard bound father figure stuff, like that moment, that moment where the found father figure will leverage a young man's rage to achieve a goal or will trick them into achieving a certain goal is it that is as old as time is it still a found father if it's a previously abandoned father yeah and that's interesting no i i i, I would still say that marcus is that found father figure he's the miyagi demonstrating to daniel that by sweeping the floor he's learned how to block a kick yeah there's another particular uh part again this is like a a really good uh using the trope to for a humanistic reason when they're talk when they're talking about uh dylan's dad power of the suit is that you can recreate memories you can literally like yeah go back into a memory almost like a minority report like walking through the hologram kind of style to say i know exactly which bit you're about to talk about yeah because you were reading and you read it out to me and i went i've already made a note about it absolutely so uh he says oh dylan's like oh you can do that with all memories he's like yeah yeah yeah. like i've got the memories so i can i can walk in them and then it's like oh what about any memories of me and dad's like no i delete all those and that especially like it fits within the magic walking through memories part but also it's the i moved on from you and had a new family but but condensed into this trope yeah do you know what though i think if there's any moment or there's any kind of single thing that they're going to leverage to the marcus was not an asshole in in the direction of marcus not being an asshole it would be that moment it would be that memories were just too painful son or i didn't want to give anybody an insight into who you were 
or something like that. It will be, I think, I think that moment will be Marcus's redemption arc. I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to give Marcus some kind of reasoning, but I don't want them to give him a um, justifying reason. If that, you don't sense. want him to get a redemption arc. Not through, not. I don't want them to retcon his previous bad shit because then that's what makes it interesting right now is he is this shit bloke and Dylan's got to reconcile the fact that his dad did abandon him and isn't perfect but can he move past that can he forgive him in any way so do you think there's anything which because what you're talking about is them adding further actions that contextualize yes exactly do you think there's anything that they could do to contextualize it that would be forgivable for him to have left him yeah the, the, this is this is what i was saying earlier is there's there's too many things that they could do which i i don't want them to do because it could be oh a wizard said if i didn't leave you then he'd kill you <laughs> you know it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, i'm yeah. doing a very dumb quick version but there's something like that which then he goes like see i didn't want to leave you and it hurt me to leave you and i didn't yeah. want to hurt me more than you son yeah i don't want that i want him to just be like i didn't know if i could handle it and um, you know, I was I panicked and I made the wrong choice. But again, I, any redemption for Marcus has to come from doing stuff. You know, later on, and obviously it's a bit difficult because of his current situation. But we know it's him possible. being a bit dead, dead but ghosty, and his ghost yeah. could could help in some way. Horse ghosts, man. They, yeah, they really they really mess with the timeline. Don't they? Although this uh, again, the trope does add a little bit because it's not again not a horse ghost. Like, can anyone could see him or can anywhere? But it's with dylan like stuck with it and that feels like carrying your trauma along with you doesn't it so the dad's yes. dead but he's always with dylan in his head because yeah. he because of the absence causing trauma re-traumatizing exactly um i also uh really liked that the established goal of dylan as a character becomes getting rid <laughs> of his father who abandoned yes. him yeah, yeah, yeah i thought the irony of that is very very uh good and not subtle but just it's you know it's a it's a fun kind of irony of like ah you've gone all the way around kind of thing but it's about him regaining agency yes so he didn't get to choose when his dad left his life and he hasn't he's now not getting to choose when his dad comes back into his life and so really you can look at it as a story about power and agency and him trying to reclaim that agency, um, which is what he does when he flies away. Yes. When, when they're training and he says, right, I'm done. We'll talk about this later. And he flies away and he literally just fucks off to go to school. That's him reclaiming agency. And I think that's part of the reason why that later conversation between Marcus and Dylan's mum was so powerful was because Dylan didn't have any agency there. And we've watched him struggling to reclaim that agency. And then at the point where he could have won that fight by himself, another parental figure turned up to save him. Somebody else took his agency away from him. And, that, and, and that's the point at which he became this really despondent, kind of dejected creature at the end of the sixth issue and had essentially lost both parents again yeah absolutely yeah and yeah the sense of loss there um and again it's a loss of agency he didn't get to decide yes um i really liked that um yeah i quite liked that dylan's mum wasn't like a stereotypical mum of a bad child because they're normally portrayed quite like i've tried everything and it's not worked and you know like that kind of style 
Yeah. She's like very like, well, I've heard you've done some shit. Like, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm punishing you now kind of thing. And at the time, in that moment, I was kind of like, oh, that's cool that she's like a bit more, you know, she's not taking any shit. She's, uh, she's obviously a, a good parent who's mm. kind of struggled against the the tide of absent father and everything yeah. like that. But then it does turn out later that she's also, she's, she's not just taking no shit, she becomes supervillain. She takes no shit. Exactly. I don't think she is a supervillain. Well, that's the question, isn't it? I'm really resist. Well, we're never going to find out. She's sealed away. I mean, if, if we keep reading the series, we might. I, I think what it might be worth is we'll give it like a year. So there's like another good chunk. And, and then, then we'll have a chat about Yeah, it. we'll revisit it again. How do you feel about the way that their management of supervillains? I feel like the supervillains are used sparingly as plot devices, which is good. I meant the way the characters manage them once they've caught. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, um, so yeah. What what I was getting at was they they they're using the, the villains oh, like they're all over the place, mate. It's yeah. like one every two issues. Yes, but they are using a very kind of like this is the lesson or this is you know furthering the plot. Blah blah blah. The the yeah, the prison, the supervillain prison is like a, it's a magical chandelier. It's a magical chandelier that they are encased in a, the diamond that hangs from it. And they're, they're sowing the seeds for a future plot of the, it's rehabilitation, but it might be also suffering as well. <laughs> have you not seen Steven Universe? Have Steven Universe it? Okay. We haven't had to record this three times because I keep having coughing fits. Didn't happen. Um, yeah, Steven Universe. They... The alien species that we kind of follow are all gems. And some of them are corrupted. And so they become monstrous. And when they catch a corrupted gem, they do exactly that to it. They encase it in a stone. They put it in a room. They are sequestered in a space. And there's kind of a bad gem rehab in the later seasons where they form a gem society from all of these corrupted gems that they've rehabbed. And as soon as I saw that chandelier, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. They're fucking Steven Universe, it. Well, that's definitely the closest. That's definitely the closest thing to it. Um, what I thought uh, in superhero tropes, it reminded me a lot of Superman and the Negative Zone. Mm. So that's only for like the the worst of the worst. Like, look, if you literally can't stay on this planet without killing people, then I'm putting you in the Negative Zone. I just sequester them. Yes. Yeah. But this this one's definitely close to the Steven Universe you've described for sure. Yeah, and um. It's so funny because Steven, Steven Universe is so sweet and this is so serious. Yeah. What's interesting as well is uh, it made sense at first um, and it made sense when the sister releases one of the, the mm. villains. What didn't make sense to me was when the mum is like, yeah, you know, she keeps escaping. And now I was like, hey, what? Like, is this secure or what? Because if people, is this Arkham? Because yeah, if it's yeah, yeah. Arkham, then it, <laughs> it's a revolving door. <laughs> like it's like one of it's like i'm breaking out it's like that you could always do that that's fine yeah. <laughs> just come back batman will bring you back don't worry about it i mean it's like um the jerry's and rick and morty exactly yeah i'm, I'm leaving re- you could always do that <laughs> yeah you don't have to announce your departure <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i was like hang on there's something here but i wonder if if that is that just a random plot point about yeah. him, about um marcus not killing or are they is actually gonna a random plot it could be a plot hole um be a plot yeah, but, but but it's the writing's been good enough that I'm, in a wrestling term, uh, willing to let it play out. I'm Are not you, quite judging oh, it. What's the term for it? Where it's it's a it's a wrestling specific term. 
I mean, I know all of them, so go on. Where you where you suspend your disbelief for something, but you would say I'm totally dot dot dotting for this. Uh, if it's positive, yeah, you say you're marking. Um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Like, are you are you willing to? Are you really marking for this one? Are you willing to be a bit of a mark for it? I think letting it play out is the more apt one because letting yeah. it play out is not entirely positive it's more like i'm willing to extend a courtesy to not criticize it fully <laughs> until i've seen a bit more so oh yeah you but that's fine but that's like that cat right now in our limited six issue reading yeah it is a plot hole yeah um but it's a and it is one of those plot holes that unfortunately is too common in um superheroes like how arkham asylum is a plot hole because <sighs> people just keep escaping you don't kill them what do you do with them well, yeah, you got to do something. This like, is the question, isn't yeah. it? You and that's, it's the morality question that's been in so many superhero comics, and they're now doing a little bit of in this one. As a long-term nerdfighter, I'm a big advocate for getting access to time travel and evil baby orphanaging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's one philosophical debate, isn't it? Evil, evil baby orphanage. It's just perfect. But then way. orphanages stereotypically aren't that great a place it would be a nice orphanage probably create more supervillains. yeah no it would need to be a really nice orphanage if you're putting yeah. hitler and mussolini and pol pot and piers morgan in one place but then the paradox and i like the piers morgan reference obviously uh the paradox becomes if they don't do all their evil stuff then you never create the orphanage which then means oh, they do the evil stuff which yeah we're using harry potter time travel rules here that's right. we're not using good time travel rules so harry, harry potter's potter you it already happened and you you're you going back is already established that's harry potter yeah the harry potter time the harry potter rules of time traveler that you can fuck with the timeline and everything will be okay no i think that I'm, I'm gonna disagree i might be wrong but i think that the harry potter ones are you already went back so you're you not changing yes some you're, kind of yeah because the bit in harry potter is um Harry thinks he sees himself. No, he thinks he sees his dad doing the Patronus. But it's him. But it's him. So it's he went back him. already, and then they have to go back to to make to confirm that it. Happened. So they're fi- they're maintaining the timeline, yes. not fixing it. Yeah, they were always going to time travel. Yeah, because I think the best time travel rules are Back to the Future. What is Back to the Future again? Is because that that is changing, isn't it? Yeah, you don't fuck with the timeline. Yeah, <laughs> but then again, that's the problem. Is they. You would be changing it by taking them to the orphanage. Yes. Talking about changing timelines and time travel, have you seen that they're rebooting Quantum Leap? I did, yeah. I never saw Quantum Leap. I never got into it. Quantum Leap is fucking brilliant. I've heard good things. It's excellent. And it was written... It's very prescient for what we're talking about suddenly. It was written by a married couple who divorced. And so I'm working from the assumption that one of them must have died. Because they could never come to an agreement about how the rights would be used for a reboot. And they would never be in the same room, but neither of them would ever give the other one the power to reboot it. So one of them must have died, and the other one's just capitalised on it and said, yep, we're making it. But it was advertised at me so heavily when I was in America that I just just need to know. I just need to know. I mean, maybe we could do a one-off special at some point. On Quantum Leap. Yeah, let's compare the old to the new or something. I'd I'd be on the Metro in New York, and it'd be like, Mind the gap, or we should say the quantum gap. And it's like, oh fuck! Off. And all the Americans went, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and me and my like Austra- they do. Me and my Australian you, you, girlfriend, you know, you do it. <laughs> and my Australian and girlfriend and I were just like, cunt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love you, Americans, really. Yeah, yeah, we love you. Most of you. 
Yeah, you're fine. Some of you. The ones with passports. You guys are great. Yeah, you guys are. Or if you listen to this without a passport. Yeah, absolutely. Then you're our favorites. Because you are traveling in your mind. Exactly. To this landscape of dicks heads talking about comic comic books. All the way to Englandshire. Englandshire, yes. Englandshire. So I think we've pretty much covered everything from the six issues. Uh, One thing I will say, a little bit, tidbit out on, I read issue seven. Mm. And issue seven. Take me a word, bitch. So I won't give away for anyone who might read it. They've listened to this and then yeah. they want to make, maybe want to continue because there's going to be loads. You can tell there's going to be loads more interesting stories past this point. Yeah. But at, uh, issue seven, what I will say is I was surprised to find that it's a choose your own adventure. No issue. shit. But not only that, it's that because it's uh, contextually part of the story. So there's a villain... Oh who's basically kind of rewinding time or gone in a time loop. Super cool. So he does things and it's turned to page blur. Then you go back and forth and it breaks in an interesting way as well. So because that's interesting, we always have like an amount of time at the start that isn't about the topic. Yeah. Can next week be follow up where we talk about that one issue? Yeah, because I'll can. catch up. Yeah, we can. Tack- that sounds fun. Yeah, yeah, we'll tack it on the end of uh, of next week's or or the start, wherever or in the middle. Yeah, we're 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 punk when it comes to that kind of stuff. Although I do have a strict schedule that we need to keep adhere punk to. Structure. Well, you know, sometimes rules are there not just to be broken, but <sighs> to be adhered to rigorously. Right, I've braced routine into my life. The most magical thing. Exactly. I like it. Just feels wonderful. Especially once you give up your dreams and hopes. and Yeah, and it's just like Monday is the day I tidy the living room and then it gets to Monday and you tidy the living room and it's like, oh, it's good. That dopamine rush from doing the thing that you were meant to do. Oh, it's, <laughs> yeah, and my fucking neurodivergent brain just riddled with whatever it's riddled with. You've ticked off one of your chores. Yeah, I know. Ugh. Oh, it feels so good. <laughs> um, you heard it here. You heard it here first, kids. Routine is cool. Oh, routine is the best. So, and part of routine, something that is just sporadically going to happen in these episodes, sometimes or not, but it is a very important segment when are it does. These the alternate happen. titles. These are Ryan's alternate oh, titles. Oh yeah. Okay. 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 Bow, 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 bow. We need like a theme tune or something, like a air horn or something. I feel like this is like what we what we got as the original title was an alternate title. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, a dual meaning. It's a pun. Know, it's a pun, yeah. So, but these are some interesting ones, and it's, again, it's not just the title; it's the concept as well. That's okay. very. That's why I've, I haven't just got like a list of rhymes. Like okay. it's the concept which is the good part. So, so first we start off with what I thought was the more difficult rhyme and the only decent one, because obviously there's one obvious half of that title to rhyme. But yeah. I thought I'd start with the other half as the difficult one. So. First one we have is Vogue's son, and it's Madonna's son. Okay. <laughs> it's just whatever he's up to. If he exists, I have no idea. One minute, one minute. I'm going to pull my phone out. You can do the next one. I'm going to Google if Madonna has a son. Okay. The next one is Rogue One, and it's just the Star Wars film. I was about to say, it's very similar. It's, it's exactly that. So it's, it's the comic, but it's just the, the Rogue One story. Uh, Rogue Hun, as in Attila. Because <laughs> he was pretty rogue, if you think about it. Got one of the most rogue. Um, rogue nun. Uh, they have a sip of wine, but it's not for communion. <laughs> so it's a little bit rogue. I'm so sorry. Just 
just to um well i'm almost at the grand finale so if okay, you've got the okay. if you've got the information let's, let's yeah. get it before um so she has quite a few sons oh, okay but one of them has a pretty good name um so it's vogue one the rocco ritchie story that sounds awesome that sounds like pretty cool well do you know what it is it's a stan it's a perfect stan lee name oh yeah rocco cool. ritchie yes a guy ritchie's son i'm guessing I would assume so, yeah. Must be. It'd be so weird if it wasn't. Yes, somehow. yeah, no, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, he's guy he's her son with Guy Ritchie. That's pretty cool then. And he is fucking good looking. Oh, he'd have to be. Like, he's a very good looking lad. He looks good looking, but in a very British way. Like Guy Ritchie. Like Guy Ritchie. <laughs> a bit a bit Hugh Grant. Uh yeah. A bit um uh who plays Vision. Um Yes, I know who you mean. Um, God, that's going to annoy me now. Uh, very, he, uh, One Vision, he was in Knight's Tale. He was excellent in Knight's Tale as Geoffrey Chaucer. Yes. God, that's going to bug me. I know his name. I know his name. We, we all know his name, but we can't speak his name for some reason. Yeah, absolutely. Like a magical curse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, keep going, keep going. Get all right. The finale. The grand finale, uh, and one that I was trying to avoid beforehand, but we kind of stepped over a little bit, is... Rogue pun. Hey. Exactly. Ryan. Yes. Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany. That's it. So, and he's such a wonderful human being. Yeah, he's a great guy. Did you do one of his best jokes uh, was in the uh, interviews for WandaVision when yeah. that was coming out. And that came out uh, per week. So it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. six or eight weeks of weekly episodes. And he said, the last, the end of this series, I got to work with um, a a bit of a cameo actor and it's an actor I've respected for a long time and I was very excited and it was an absolute delight to work with them. I won't spoil who it is. And everyone's like, Oh my God, it's going to be someone is, uh, uh, the devil guy, that character. I can't remember his name. Uh, anyone's names. Um, or it's, or it's going to be Dr. Strange. He's making, or maybe it's Mr. Fantastic. Turned out, it was Paul Bettany. <laughs> there was two visions at the end. <laughs> he was talking about himself. That was That's so good. And I, when I saw, when as soon as I realised that, I was like, "Ah, oh, you bugger, you're alright, aren't you?" By the way, um, like a Knight's Tale, mm. Heath Ledger, um, the guy who played Robert Baratheon, whose name I've, I never knew his name, so he's Baratheon to me. Um, I fucking know his name, and Paul Bettany, all on screen at the same time. So much talent. Yeah, yeah. And this is going to sound bad, but the woman in that was someone who became quite famous afterwards as well. Oh, no, I don't know. Do you know what? I've often wondered. She was good, though. But I yeah. don't remember her. Yeah. And that's, we, we can't remember anyone's name. That's yeah. The, Mephisto was who I was forgetting earlier. Mark Addy. Who? Mark Addy. Is that Baratheon? That's Robert Baratheon, right. yeah. We get Mark names Addy. eventually. It just takes yeah. us a while. Absolutely. So I think we've covered pretty much uh, everything. That um, was a fun episode. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's good that this one was fun because it means we can do other newer titles. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. And once we get more into the swing of things, this opens up the door a bit for us doing uh, new releases during the year in between, obviously, older, yeah. you know, more established titles. But we could do newer ones every once in a while. And at the, the end of the year, it means we can do our best of for that year. We can do our yearly roundup. Yes. Oh, my. That's going to be so good. We can do a best and worst. Exactly. And to be honest, with the few, the amount that we will do, like if we still do one a week, it's probably just going to be a best of because we're yeah. not going to waste time on like bad ones that yeah. come out now. Like, because unfortunately, it does seem there are a lot of comics come out and a lot of them just don't. You know, hot garbage. Well, maybe not even garbage. We, but the, we don't know. But yeah. at least getting the best of the best of gives us a lot to talk about. 
and we can rank them at the end of the year. I okay. don't think we'll do it at the end of this year because it's bloody November already. Yeah. Um, but, you know, end of, end of 2023, mark your calendars, Comic Literate's top With, uh, 10 uh, awards, and we'll send a certificate in the post to the <laughs> writers in the arse. We're a podcast with three listeners, both of whom are my mum. And they're going to be like, who are these guys? Like, what, what's this? <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. Yes. Open invitation to come on the podcast, obviously, if you win the uh, award. So, um, yeah, we're wrapped up here. And uh, what will happen is we will have some socials and everything to plug at the end. Um, there is a comic literate YouTube page, which I'm using for editing purposes. So that's the only one we've got <laughs> so far. But there will be a TikTok. There will be a... T- I don't know why I start with TikTok. I think it's because it's the new... It's the, it's the one. hot one, isn't it? It's yeah. the one. There'll be a TikTok. I'm already looking into taking isolated clips and maybe getting them do, animated. We can do the one where people, some, somebody's trying to stab somebody with something. And, they, and it's like, people bubble, people do. I've been on TikTok recently. I was going to say, well, like, what? I, I thought you were talking about something we'd done. And I was like, what is this? Was I, no, no, I passed down for this? Been on TikTok. I've been on TikTok recently. Okay. Well, you know how it works. So that helps. Yeah. It's but we'll have all the socials. Uh, I will be... a early next year launching a comic stand youtube channel uh once the uh not that you've mentioned it not that i've mentioned it i'm holding i'm holding myself accountable because if i don't do it then people are going to be like where's the channel right so i'm holding myself accountable by continually mentioning it um you also have some stuff that you are doing on the side as well i have stuff Stuff and things. I've talked about it once before, though, so I won't talk about it again. That's for, It's a one-time opportunity. If you don't get on board, you, we're you gone. You have to go back to pre- the previous episode to find it. That's good. Get that extra list. Stuff and things. Yes. I make stuff and things. Exactly. But uh, yeah, so once we have those, we'll have a nice smoother outro that you'll be performing. Um, oh, yeah. I'll give you a list. We'll give okay. you a list. And other than that, we... Oh, we haven't decided what we're doing next week. Yeah. Um, We'll do it. We'll do a thing. We'll do a thing. Um, we'll we'll work out tomorrow because we don't want to do a last minute read like yeah, we did yeah, this week. Yeah, we'll do a thing. Uh, should should we? Because we keep mentioning it. Should we do um a Rick and Morty issue, and then it's we can talk about that. Talk about how it compares to the TV show. I feel and... like we should do something by Alan Moore. Yeah, but that's a deep one. Like... I know, but we won't. Do... The thing is, right? It's only. Because of the conversation we've had about Alan Moore, it's only funny if we don't do it justice at this point. Okay, you know what we do? We can do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because it's Alan Moore and it's in honour of that Kevin O'Neill. Kevin O'Neill. Yeah. Okay, so we, we'll do that. Yeah, and we we'll can do the League of his... Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. And I've read it already, so I can kind of, I just have to skim it again. But it's, uh, the first volume is definitely the best that I read. I yeah. think there might be stuff afterwards, but best I read. It's what the film was based on, so we can talk about that a little bit. The differences. Well, 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 I was gonna go yeah. on that. Yeah, it sounds fun. And more importantly, you can do your Alan Moore impression again. Fucking Alan Moore, mate. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Okay. <laughs> right. Oh, bye. Oh, All right. Bye. <laughs> I was the applauding clap. myself. Yeah. <laughs> this part's staying in. All of it. He cackling at the end. <laughs>